rolling. All right, friends, this is Friday, July 2nd, 2021, Independence Day weekend, and we are going to study some Torah like it's nobody's business. Okay, Torah portion this week is Pinchas, and today we're going to cover the sixth and seventh reading of the parsha. So let's jump in to the text. I'm going to share my screen so that y'all can follow along and we can all follow along together. We were in the middle of a conversation of the communal offerings. Um, this was a very important topic, or it still is actually, but we started yesterday. It's a very important topic. Um, as I explained, there are individual offerings, private offerings. Somebody wants to give a donation or they you know, feel grateful, gratitude offering. There's the idea of a sin offering, a guilt offering. All of the above are forms of offerings. These were, we're talking here about communal offerings brought on behalf of the community, not because of any specific reason, just an offering on behalf of the people, behalf of everyone. Everyone donated toward it and every day there were offerings. So there were daily offerings. There were, in addition to the daily offerings, there were Shabbat offerings, Rosh Chodesh, top of the month offerings, and now we're going to talk about the holiday offerings. Numbers chapter 28, verse number 16. We start with Passover. In the first, and in our calendars, it's month number seven, but in the, in the biblical count of months, it's month number one. So in the first month, the month of Nisan, on the 14th day of the month, you shall offer up a Passover offering to the Lord, that is the Paschal Lamb. On the 15th day of the month, a festival begins. A festival that you know as Passover. You shall eat unleavened bread for seven days. On the first day, it is a holy convocation. You shall not perform any mundane work. You shall offer up a fire offering, a burnt offering to the Lord. Two, and here's what you do on Passover. Day one of Passover. So before the day before Passover begins, you bring the, the Paschal lamb and you have that at your Seder back in the day. Good. But what about on the first day of Passover itself, on the 15th day of Nisan? Here are the offerings. Verse 19. You shall offer up a fire offering, a burnt offering to the Lord, consisting of two young bulls, one ram, and seven lambs in the first year. They shall be unblemished for you. Along with the, with the animals, their meal offerings, verse 20, shall be fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths. Of, uh, for each bull and two of an ephah for each bull and two tenths of an ephah for the ram you shall offer up. And you shall offer up one tenth of an ephah for each lamb for all seven lambs. So we have three tenths for the bulls, two tenths for the rams, and one tenth for the seven lambs. And one young male goat for a sin offering to atone for you. You shall offer these up besides the morning burnt offering, which is offered as a continual burnt offering. You see what he says over there? See what the Torah says? These are the specific offerings for the holiday of Passover that are offered in addition to the tamid, la'olat ha-tamid, the tamid offering, the consistent daily offering. Now, it only mentions the morning, but there was also an afternoon offering. Why does it leave it out? I'm not sure, but it, it means this is extra on top of the daily communal offering, you don't replace it with a holiday offering, you add it on top of what you're already doing. Like, okay, where do they get the animals and where do they keep them in their backyard? Good question. So it was a whole operation. It was a whole situation. There were suppliers, like any, like anything, right? 
Donna has a supplier. I mean, how does she get those cool um, charms and honey? I mean, who would have thought, right? Honey and apples, apples and honey. So you're in the business. You have, you have your suppliers. You look around. You make sure to source it correctly. So the temple, they needed animals. They, the holidays were coming up. They knew what they needed. It wasn't a surprise. They knew what they needed. It was a finite number. It's not like you needed a million animals. You needed, what, uh, uh, 10 animals or so, all told. All right, so they got the animals, and they, 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 and there was a place. I'm sure that somewhere in Jewish, uh, um, in the books, it's written exactly where they would keep it, where the pens were, were they outside the temple, north, east, south, and west. I'm sure those details are enumerated. I don't know them. We could look them up, maybe Google them, if maybe you could find them, but I'm sure it's somewhere. They, they needed the animals, they procured them, they got them, they kept them, and, and then they offered them when they needed to. Let's continue like this, verse 24, like these, sorry, like these, you shall offer up daily for seven days. It's a seven-day holiday. Food of the fire offering. In other words, my understanding is the formula of animals that we said that you bring on the first day, which are um, two young bulls, one ram, and seven lambs, right? I believe what it's saying is like these, you shall offer up daily for seven days. Do the same thing for all seven days. Food of the fire offering, spirit of satisfaction uh, uh, for the, uh, to the Lord. You shall offer up this in addition to the continual burnt offering. That's the daily Tamid, right? And it's libation. Let's welcome Sandrine. Sandrine, gl- glad to have you in the party. All right. Ba- yes, Donna. I've been trying to figure out the last few days. So like on verse 24, it says, this is all for the spirit of satisfaction to the Lord. I'm trying to figure out what is the satisfaction to the Lord of having these food offerings. I mean, Excellent. not the food offerings for prayer as a substitute, but, you know, in the, on the face of it, the prayer seems you're more connected. It's more spiritual. What's going on? A slaughterhouse, and God likes that. Right. So you're asking an excellent question. And, I, and honestly, it's, it's, it's a question that I wouldn't know the answer to if not for the Lubavitcher Rebbe, because the Rebbe asked this question. The Rebbe asked this question, what does it mean that it's reach nichayach, that it's a nachas, it's, it's, it's nachat, it's spirit of satisfaction to God. What does that even mean? So Rashi clarifies that it means nachas ruach lefanai shamarti v'nasaritzayni. It gives me satisfaction that I told you to do something and you do it. And the Rebbe says, what does that mean? It means that as your question is your answer. Your question is, it doesn't make sense. Like, what's it for? What's the animal offering anyway for? And how does it cause satisfaction? That question is its own answer. The reason why it's satisfying to God is because it won't make sense to you and I, and we'll still do it only because Hashem wants. You with me? You and I will try to wrap our heads around. I understand why God would love prayer. I understand why God would love me giving tzedakah. I understand why God would love... Whatever, this, that, or the other. But why would God want um, two young bulls, one ram, and seven lambs? How does that make sense? And Hashem says exactly the point. It doesn't make sense to you. But in a real relationship, it's not about you. It's about the other. A real relationship means how much do you love the other? The the litmus test is not when you also love it. Because then it's about you. It's when the other loves something and you have no frame of reference. You have no way to understand it. And every part of every fiber of your being says, this is ridiculous. But you say, you know what? If they love it, I'm on board. That's exactly what a carbon is, what an offering was back in the day in the temple. It makes no sense. 
Why would God want animals? What's the point? God doesn't eat. It seems like a waste, right? What's hap- what is happening here? Hashem says, but you'll do it? You'll do it just because I want it? Yes? That gives me satisfaction. Then I know you love me. It's not, by the way, it's not like a weird test of love or anything. I don't mean to make it sound like some sort of like manipulation here. It's not a manipulation. Hashem wants it for whatever reason that He wants it. We don't, we don't relate to it. But what I'm trying to tell you is that your question was really the answer. Your question is twofold. Number one, I don't really understand how this, why this is something that Hashem would like. And why would it cause Him satisfaction? That's the question and the answer. The answer is it causes Hashem satisfaction because the only reason why we do it is because He said so. And we're focused on Hashem. We're focused on what Hashem wants. We're focused on Hashem's wants, not on our own. So most mitzvot, we're we're aware of the we're aware of it. And even the chukim, this is not the only mitzvah that we may not understand. But the Rebbe in that talk, I'm trying to remember the details. He says this is unique. It's one and alone. Why? Because the other chukim, other decrees that we don't know about. We do it because it's a divine decree. This is not a divine decree. This is Hashem. It's not irrational. It's rational. Just we don't understand it. But we're still willing to surrender our own rationale for, for God's rationale. And thus, it becomes endearing to Hashem that we're willing to surrender on that level to Him. Anyway, but you're asking an excellent question. But the Rebbe gives a beautiful answer. And I hope that is in the spirit of satisfaction. I hope that was a satisfactory answer. All right, back to our, back to our text. So that is the, uh, and one more thing, verse 25, the seventh day of Passover shall be a, once again, a holy convocation for you. You shall not perform any mundane work. Let me explain what that means. The holiday of Passover is a book-ended holiday, which means that the first and seventh days are days of the holiday where we do not do any work and, you know, etc. The middle days, we call them Chol HaMoed, they're the mundane days within the holiday, they're the middle days, the intermediary days, they're still, it's still Passover, and they would still bring offerings in the temple, and we still do special prayers, but it's not on the same level of, you know, abstain from work and whatever, that's only the first and seventh days, the middle days, you can do things. Now, there are some, there's some restrictions, you don't like go all in on the mundane, but you're allowed to drive, and you're, I mean, you're, you're allowed to do the work, allowed to cook, there's no prohibition of the work that you have on the first and seventh days. Although on Passover, on holidays, you're allowed to cook anyway, so that wasn't a good example that I gave, but I hope what I'm saying is making sense. Day one, just to highlight what I'm saying over here in the text. The first day is a holy convocation. Again, don't do work. That's what it says here in verse 18. And verse 25, the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall not perform any mundane work. The implication is the middle days, you are allowed to do that. Let's continue verse, allowed to do work. Verse 26. Uh, let's move on to the next holiday, which is Shavuot. On the day of the first fruits, that is Shavuot. When you offer up a new meal offering to the Lord on your festival of weeks, that is Shavuot. But Shavuot Echem in the Hebrew, on Shavuot. It shall be a holy convocation for you. Once again, you shall not perform any mundane work on the festival of Shavuot. What about the offerings? Because that's what we're in for this. That's what we're in for here. The, um, the, the communal offerings. Verse 27, you shall offer up a burnt offering with a spirit of satisfaction to the Lord. And what does it consist of? Two young bulls, one ram, and seven lambs in the first year. Their meal offering shall be fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths 
for each bull and two tenths for the ram, one tenth for each lamb for all seven lambs. And like we had before on Passover, one young male goat to atone for you. So the other ones are considered a burnt offering. This is a sin or atonement offering. And that is it. You shall offer up this besides, once again, this is not coming to replace the daily offering. This is coming in addition to the daily offering, as it says right here in verse 31. You shall offer this up besides the continual burnt offering and its meal offering. They shall be unblemished for you, as well as their libations. So this is in addition to the carbon tamid, a continuous offering brought every day. You would bring a special, uh, special offering on Shavuot. Next holiday. So if we go through the year, we have Passover. Seven weeks later, Shavuot. And a few months later, Rosh Hashanah. Here we go. Numbers chapter 29. Let's... Oh, I wish we had a symbol somewhere in the Zoom of apples and honey. I wish we had some sort of Rosh Hashanah symbol. Huh. Donna. Any idea? Okay. All right. Let's continue. Yeah. So verse 1. And in the seventh month, that is Tishrei. On our calendar, just to be very clear, on our Jewish calendars, this will always be month number one. But in the biblical understanding, it's actually month number seven because the Exodus is considered to be the beginning of our peoplehood. On the seventh month, or in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, Rosh Hashanah, there shall be a holy convocation for you. Once again, that means it's a yomtif, it's a holiday. And you shall not perform any mundane work. It shall be a day of shofar sounding for you. So you sound the shofar on the day of Rosh Hashanah. If you want to know where, how do we know we sound the shofar? It's kind of right here. Right here, day of shofar sounding. You shall offer up a burnt offering for a spirit of satisfaction to the Lord. And what does it consist of? One young bull, one ram, and seven lambs in the first year, all unblemished. And their meal offering shall be fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of three-tenths for the bull, two-tenths for the ram, and one-tenth for each lamb for all for the seven lambs. And, as always, one young male goat as a sin offering to atone for you. And, once again, the disclaimer, this is besides the burnt offering of the new... Oh, 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 one second. <laughs> the Torah has to specify. There's two other normal, whatever, two other non-Rosh Hashanah offering that are brought. One for Rosh Chodesh, because it's also Rosh Chodesh. Are you with me? The first, of the, the first of Tishrei is Rosh Hashanah, but it's also Rosh Chodesh, and it's a day. So this is, so the Rosh Hashanah offerings are brought besides, in addition to, the burnt offering of the new month and its meal offering. And it's also, aside from the continual burnt offering and its meal offering, the daily offering. And the libations are as prescribed for them as a spirit of satisfaction, a fire offering to the Lord. On Rosh Hashanah, there are three sets of offerings. The daily offering, the Rosh Chodesh offering, and the Rosh Hashanah offering. I hope that's clear. So every day is a daily offering. On Rosh Hashanah, it's also Rosh Chodesh. You bring the Rosh Chodesh offering and you bring the Rosh Hashanah offering. Three suites of offering on that day. Let's talk about Yom Kippur, the next holiday. And on the 10th day of the seventh month, that is Yom Kippur, there shall be a holy convocation for you. And it, and it adds, you shall afflict your souls. You see that addition? We never had that before. It was always a holy convocation and don't do any work. That's what it said. By all the holidays, it says holy convocation. It's a holiday and no work. Here it says holy convocation. You shall afflict your souls 
and not do work. Afflict your souls means it's a fast day. In fact, our sages tell us affliction means five things. No eating and drinking. That's number one. No anointing with oils or perfumes. No bathing. No leather shoes. And no forms of physical intimacy. Those are the five ways in which we afflict ourselves, our bodies, although it says souls, it really means yourselves, afflicting ourselves on this specific holiday, the 10th of the seventh month, which is Yom Kippur. And what about the offerings? Verse 8, you shall offer up a burnt offering to the Lord for a spirit of satisfaction, which consists of one young bull, one ram, and seven lambs. In the first year, they shall all be unblemished. And their meal offering shall be fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths for the bull, two-tenths for the ram, one-tenth for each lamb, for the seven lambs. A young male goat for a sin offering, besides the atonement sin offering and the continual burnt offering, its meal offering, and their libations, this is what is brought on Yom Kippur. We're ready to move to reading number seven, which will be for tomorrow, but we're going to do it today because that's how we roll on Fridays. Numbers chapter 29. Here we go. Now we're up to the next holiday. So we covered, just to go through the calendar here, Passover, Shavuot, Rosh Hashanah, and Yom Kippur. So far, so good. We're left with one more holiday. And that is five days later. After Yom Kippur, we have the holiday of Sukkot. And on the 15th day of the seventh month, there shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall not perform any mundane work. It's a holiday, no work. And, and you shall celebrate. This is, the, this is unique. It says you shall celebrate a festival to the Lord for seven days. Celebrate, which tells us that the holiday of Sukkot, more than all of the other holidays, the holiday of Sukkot, is a joyous celebration. It's the most joyous of the holidays, and it culminates, of course, with Simcha Torah, with the joy, the celebration of dancing with the Torah. It is the most joyous of the holidays. Maybe it's the most ironic of the holidays. The irony is that it's the holiday in which you have to schlep out, you have to build this hut, and schlep out of your house, and eat in this, you know, this makeshift situation, and this is peak joy. Peak joy is when I'm not in my house, is when I'm sitting outside, is when I'm, you know, when I'm worried about the rain because I don't know if my soup is going to end up soggy, right? I don't know if my jacket's going to get ruined. That's peak joy. Yes. You know why? Because peak joy is when you feel God's embrace. Peak joy is when you recognize that safety and security is not in the palaces and the fortresses built by human hands but rather under God's beautiful, loving, and pure embrace. That's what peak joy is. Peak joy is surrender and vulnerability and putting ourselves in God's hands. So again, it may seem counterintuitive, but this is where the celebration, this is where the festival is. When the Talmud uses the word Chag, Chag, holiday or festival, it always means specifically Sukkot. Even though the other holidays are also called Chag Pesach, Chag, um, Chag Shavuos, maybe it's called, whatever. Even though the other festivals also are called festivals, the one that the Torah specifies is Sukkot. Let's continue. Verse 13. You shall offer up a burnt offering, a fire offering for a spirit of satisfaction to the Lord, which consists of, wow, this is a big number, 13 young bulls, two rams, 14 lambs in the first year. This is way more than any other holiday. 
They shall all be unblemished. So Ray's question comes back, where did they keep all these animals? There were a lot of animals for Sukkot. And you'll see that every day there was a distinction. Every day the bulls decreased. The number of the bulls, everything else stayed the same, but the number of bulls decreased each and every day of Sukkot. It started off 13, by the next day it was 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, etc. And their meal offering shall be fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths for each bull, for the 13 bulls, two-tenths for each ram and for the two rams, and one-tenth for each lamb for the 14 lambs. And one young, hold on, let me toggle Rashi off for a second, and one young male goat for a sin offering besides the continual burnt offering. Once again, the carbon tumid happened every single day of the year. So besides for this was that, it's meal offering, it's libation, and on the second day, okay, that's day one of Sukkot. What about day two? 12 young bulls, not 13, 12. Everything else is going to be the same. Two rams, 14 lambs, in the first year all unblemished, and their meal offerings, and their libations for the bulls, for the rams, for the lambs, according to their number, as prescribed. And, young one, and one young male goat for the sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, its meal, libation, its meal offering, and their libations. It's going to be very repetitive now for the seven days of Sukkot. And on the third day, the only thing that changes is the number of bulls. It diminishes. 11 days, 11 bulls. Two rams, 14 lambs, and the first year all unblemished. And I'm just going to run through this quickly. And their meal offerings and their libations for the bulls, for the rams, for the lambs, according to their number, as prescribed. And, young, and, young, and one young male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, its meal offering, and its libation. Let's continue with day four. Day four, we're down to 10 bulls. Two rams, 14 lambs, in the first year, all unblemished. Their meal offerings and their libations for the bulls, for the rams, for the lambs, according to their number, as prescribed. And one young male goat for a sin offering besides the continual burnt offering, its meal offering, and its libation. Day number five. And on the fifth day, there were nine bulls to be brought. So we started off at 13, 12, 11, 10, 9. Bulls, 2 rams, 14 lambs, in the first year all unblemished, and their meal offerings and their libations for the bulls, for the rams, for the lambs, according to their number as prescribed, and one young male goat, and one young male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, its meal offering, and its libations. And on the sixth day, there were now eight bulls to be offered, two rams, 14 lambs, in the first year all unblemished, and their meal offerings and their libations for the bulls, for the rams, for the lambs, according to their number as prescribed, and one young male goat for a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, its meal offering, and its libations. And on the seventh day, about to take a break and a breath. On the seventh day, there were seven bulls, two rams, 14 lambs, in the first year all unblemished, their meal offerings, libations for the bulls, for the rams, for the lambs, according to the number as prescribed for them, one young male goat for a sin offering besides the continual burnt offering, its meal offering, and its libation. All right, that's it. That's it. Now we're taking a break. So we had day one, day two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven days of Sukkot, seven days of holiday, and each day the same offerings were brought. With one exception, the number of bulls went from 13 to 12 to 11 to 10 to nine, to eight, to seven. If you add up all those numbers together, 13 plus 12 plus 11 plus 10 plus nine plus eight plus seven, it equals a grand total of 70. Seven, zero. And our sages tell us that there was, this was highly significant because 70 is the archetypical number that represents the nations of the world. 
In Jewish thought, there's the Jewish nation and the 70 other nations. Why 70? Originally, there were 70 nations by the Tower of Babel. There were 70 nations. Then, of course, nations split and divided and, you know, whatever. It's been, it's been a, a very interesting evolution of all this stuff. But the, the core is 70 represents the non-Jewish world, the, the, the larger world. And the message of the bulls of Sukkot is that the negative energy of the nations of the world should decrease. The hostility toward the Jews should diminish each and every day. First 13, and then 12, and then 11, and then 10, 9, 8, 7. In other words, the negative energy in the larger world should decrease. The darkness should decrease, and more light should supplant them. It's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. In fact, our sages tell us that it wasn't only to diminish the negativity of the nations, but these offerings were also brought for protection of the nations, which prompted our sages to say, if the nations of the world only knew how represented they were in the temple and how the temple offerings benefited them and their, their countries, they would have put guards they would have put their own armies around the temple to protect it from being destroyed. Not that they would have destroyed it. They would have done everything in their power to not destroy it if they only knew how beneficial the temple was for them, for the whole world. And so here we have a beautiful idea of a universal. You know, Judaism is, is a particular faith. It's a particular way of life. But Judaism also has universal you know, ideas and universal themes and universal, you know, effects. And here's one of the universal elements of Judaism, the 70 bulls of Sukkot, which represent not only a diminishing of negativity, but also an empowerment of positivity for the nations of the world. Now the eighth day, because Sukkot is really eight days. So what is the eighth day? Well, it's really a separate, officially it's a separate holiday. It's a new holiday. So you have seven days of Sukkot and then you have Shmini Atzeret, which is Shmini Atzeret. Right here. The eighth day shall be a time of restriction for you. You shall not perform any mundane work. So once again, it's a holiday with no work. It's the eighth day. So it's, uh, it's, it's part of, it's a continuation of this holiday, but it's really its own energy. As I said a moment ago, you shall offer up a burnt offering, a fire offering for a spirit of satisfaction to the Lord. And what do you bring now? Only one bull. One ram and seven lambs in the first year all unblemished. Instead of the 12, 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, it's one bull which represents, so we had a representation of the 70 nations. One bull is representing now the Jewish people. You with me on that? Before, the first seven, the seven days of Sukkot represented the 70 nations. And Shemini Sarah represents, with the one bull, it represents the one nation of Israel, the one Jewish people. And 37, their meal offerings and their libations for the bulls, for the rams, for the lambs, according to their number as prescribed, and one young male goat for a sin offering besides the continual burnt offering, its meal offering, and its libations, and its libation. All right, in summation, in conclusion, these, these, all of these, shall, you shall offer up to the Lord on your festivals besides your vows and voluntary offerings. In other words, these are communal offerings. These are not personal offerings. So offer these up besides for your vows and voluntary offerings, for your burnt offerings, for your meal offerings, for your libations, and for your peace offerings. Besides all of the other stuff that you're going to do that you're going to bring, these are the communal offerings that are to be brought daily, monthly, um, sorry, daily, 
weekly, Shabbat, monthly, Rosh Chodesh, and annually on the festivals. And the Torah portion concludes with the verse that was the key to Wednesday night's Torah studies class. Moses spoke to the children of Israel in accordance with all that the Lord had commanded Moses, which tells us that Moses delivered all these laws to everybody. And I'll just share with you, remind you what I said Wednesday night, based on the Rebbe's insight, that Moses had told all of these commandments years ago to the priests who needed to know which offerings to bring on which holiday. But now he told it to everybody. Why? Because we're all meant to know Torah. We're all meant to study even those mitzvot that are not applicable. And also because there will be a time when we won't be able to bring offerings on Passover, Shavuot, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, or Shemini Yatzer. We won't have a temple. But we'll still need to replace it with our Torah study, our prayer, and our good deeds. And so this is relevant ultimately to everybody, to us as well. So this is, again, just repeating what I did on Wednesday, what we discovered, discussed on Wednesday. And you're probably wondering, wow, if you said it in like under two minutes, why do we have a whole hour class? All right, process, process, right? It's the process. It's not, all, it's not only the destination. So in summation, the Torah portion begins with an act of zealotry on uh, Pinchas's regard where he takes the spear and he ends the plague by killing Zimri and Cosby the Jewish prince and the Midianite princess. It then goes into a discussion about the census. It then, it then segues into a conversation about Salafchad's daughters who wanted a piece of the land. And God says, yes, give these five, these five daughters, give them a piece of the land. It then segues to Moshe saying, what about me? And God says, still no, you're still not going to go in. What about my son? Not your son. Joshua is going to be the leader. And then we get into the communal offerings for the holidays. So what's the message? The offerings are called, the Hebrew word for offering is karban. Karban means to get close. Ultimately, the purpose of the offering was not to give God an animal, but was for a person to get close to God. Getting back to my relationship analogy that I said before, in a relationship, in a loving relationship, what the other one loves, you love. I mean, not to be careful, right? Not if it's illegal, not if it's right, healthy, right? Okay. So assuming that it's, it's legal, so if they love it, if you love them and they love it, so you love it also. Not because you actually love it, because you love them and they love it. So why not? It's an act. So when, when we do for the other what they love, because they love it, and because we love them and they love it so that we do what they love, it's not about what we're doing, but it's really about the fact that we are doing. Does that make sense? It's not necessarily the particulars of what we're doing. It's the fact that we love them enough to do what they love. So it's not about the specifics. It's about the relationship. These are ways in which we build relationships. Relationships are built in the trenches. What I mean by that is, maybe not trenches, in the details. It's easy on an anniversary, on a birthday, those are easy. And some might say halavai, even, okay, fine, I'm with you. But, you know, it, it's easier on those, on the Hallmark days to remember and to, and to do something. The question is on an ordinary Friday morning, right? Are we attentive? Are we thinking about the other? And it's not what we're thinking about as much as the fact that we are thinking about them. 
And this is true in any relationship, whether it's a, what we would call like a romantic relationship, a spousal relationship, or even parents and children. Whether it's the parent to the child or the child to the parent, or whether it's friends, or even to a certain extent, colleagues working together. There are things that we can do to benefit each other that build teamwork, that build camaraderie, that build a collective connection. And it's not, some, oftentimes it's not about what we're doing, but the fact that we are doing something for the other. And so in the final analysis, our Torah portion, the last chunk dealt with the karbanot, karban, the offerings. Karban means lekarev, to get close. Because this wasn't, about, wasn't only about the specifics, although there were a lot of details there, but it's about the, the act of drawing near. And ultimately that comes from within. It's nothing external that does that. We, we operate in the external world, but the closeness comes from within. It's a simple question. Do we want to become close? Or are we fine staying distant? That's the question. And only we can answer that. But a real relationship is one in which I am motivated to become close. So in, the, in that vein, I'm going to get close. Joking. In that vein, I want to, in that spirit, I want to wish you all, I want to wish all of us a good Shabbos. It should be a Shabbos of closeness, a Shabbos of connection, a Shabbos of relationships in whatever way, whatever that means. On the most immediate level in our Torah portion with Hashem, right? I may have missed that out in all, in all my examples of relationships. I never brought it back to, to Hashem. Let's do a mitzvah. And it doesn't matter which one. Let's do a mitzvah. Why? Because we want to get close. And that's what God wants. That's what God loves. So we love it for God. Not, not for us. We're doing it for God. It's also going to benefit us, right? But it's about getting closer to God. So let this be a Shabbos of connection, a Shabbos of closeness. And, then, and may we take the energy of Shabbos into the subsequent week and make it a week of beauty, joy, and transformation for us, our communities, and the entire world. And let us say, Amen. Thank you for joining me today. Any questions, comments before we close out? Yes, Rabbi. Rabbi yes. So, 70 bulls representing the hostility of 70 nations. Yes. So, I mean, that. So nowadays we're wondering why we've gone through so much persecution all these thousands of years, but it seems like it's kind of foretold. It's, yeah. A lot of it is foretold. The idea that the nations of the world might not look so kindly upon the Jewish people, we've seen that. I mean, Egypt, Amalek, um, Moab, Midjan. Like in, in the Torah itself, we have multiple, numerous examples of this, of where the Jewish people seem to be targeted and ganged up by the other nations. So, I mean, it is what it is. It's a, it's a truth of Jewish history that was apparent then. You might call it prophecy or... It had already been shown in, 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 in recent experience, right, that that was the case. But Hashem is the one, of course, giving this command, and Hashem knows what, you know, what, what the future is going to hold as well. And the idea is that we, we do whatever we can to create a world in which there's less negativity, there's less darkness. Um, you should know that this is the source for the opinion of the Academy of Shammai to say that on Hanukkah, you should light the menorah first night with eight candles and then go down to seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, which we don't do, right? But it's the opinion of, of the Academy of Shammai, Beit Shammai, that says that you start off with eight, then you go seven, six, five, four, three, two, and you end the last night with one candle. We go the other way around. We start with one and then elevate up to eight. That's the, that's the opinion of the Academy of, Sham, of, of Hillel. 
But this is where Shammai gets it from, parechak, from the bulls of Sukkot, the idea of decreasing the negative energy. And Beit Hillel takes the other approach. On Hanukkah, we don't want to focus on decreasing negativity, but rather accentuating, um, adding to positivity. And the Rebbe focused on this a lot, and he said, when you walk into a dark room, there's no reason to get angry or upset or try to you know, take, a, take a stick and try to hit the darkness. You want to get rid of the darkness, you don't do that by getting rid of the darkness. All you do is add light. Add light, and darkness disappears automatically. So I think for us, although the 70 bulls of Sukkot did direct the energy toward diminishing the darkness, diminishing the negativity in the world, but perhaps a positive lesson for us is about adding to the light. The more light we shed, we share, shed? Do we shed light? I don't know. The more light we share in the world, the less space there is for darkness to exist. And so really it accomplishes both in, through, through positive means. I also think yeah. that, you know, so we always are discussing how individually all our challenge, in, individual internal challenges and the dark side, all that. But on a macro level, then the Jewish people, it's the same thing vis-a-vis the world as our own individual, yeah. right? Yeah. It hasn't, been, it hasn't always been easy. But, you know, we're, we're, we're not kvetching, we're not complaining, we're just, we're just keeping, keeping on, keeping on. That's it. All right. Donna, Ray, Sarah, Olia, Sandrine. It's great to see you all. We're on Monday. It's July. It's the official holiday. Uh, yeah, I think so. I'm not sure about Kabbalah and Coffee. I'm going to let you guys know. Um, for those that join Kabbalah and Coffee, would Sunday work for you? Yes? Yeah. Yes? No? Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm not sure. I'm just looking around. I'm not sure I have to check with what's going on over here. But I will send out an email either way a little bit later on this afternoon. And then Monday is the, the you know, it's July 4th Sunday, but Monday is the federal holiday. So, I, you know, you raise a good point, but it's really not about that. I'm actually traveling on Monday to Pittsburgh for a visit. So um, I'm just trying to think, when is my flight? I land at, I believe, 1030 in the morning. So I should I should be able to do it. I once I once broadcast the DPP from Pittsburgh. Yes, on the side of the house. On the side of the house. That was months ago when I visited. Yeah. I think it was back in November um, of 2020. So, okay, all right. Stay tuned. Uh, stay tuned. My te- God's willing, I will be in France again. Oh wow! When next week? Monday. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Are you traveling, or will you already be there on Monday? Uh, I should be there. Good. Well, then you have no excuse not to join. Done. We'll see you. How do you pronounce it? Think... Oh. oh, sorry. I was going to say, I don't think I get your emails, like, about any updates. Can you add me to the Oh, list? for sure. Wait, hold on. So tell me, which emails Which emails do you get? Which emails don't you get? I don't think I get any. Like, I, was, I used to get one about Hebrew classes, but nothing, like, about daily Parsha or Wednesday night emails. I don't get them. Okay, so I need to add you to, so we have like, do you get though the, like the Intown Jewish Academy emails about the upcoming courses and classes? Do you get those? Uh, I have to check. I usually search by name. Okay. Uh, check your spam. I'm kidding. I checked my spam too. Okay. Like I haven't, no, the last email was about, 
No, when I asked you when the class wasn't there on Monday, but that was the last Monday. Remember with Monday daily yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's the deal. I don't send out so so few, few things. We have um, an in-town Jewish. We have a Chabad mailing email list. We have an in-town Jewish Academy email list. So for sure, we should get you on those. But for some of the classes, like the weekly classes, I don't send out an email to everybody. I just send okay. out to the group. So that means that I need to. I mean, not I need to, but I I I, I do need to. I need to add you to the list. But daily power posture, I don't usually send out an email because no, I only send out an email when it's not happening. Well, yeah, um, if something changes. If something changes, exactly. Yeah. But um, Wednesday night Torah studies, I do send out an email each week, so I should add you to that. And okay. Kabbalah and Coffee, I also send out a weekly email, so I should add you to that as well um, if you're interested in Kabbalah and Coffee Sunday morning. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's too early. It's my only oh, oh, that's fine. So then, don't, so then don't worry. I won't, I won't, uh, I won't stress you out with, yeah. uh, with that email then. Because then I don't want to, you know, who needs the guilt? Anyway, um, okay, good. All right, so everyone have a good Shabbos, Shabbat Shalom, and stay tuned for the emails. And if you don't get them, you know, then then it'll be business as usual. All right, we'll see you guys. Thank you, Rabbi. Take care. Safely, you too, Sandra. Thanks. We'll see you, Sarah. Take care. Bye, everybody. Take care. Bye.